You're listening to the Journey to Launch podcast, how to unlock your full wealth potential and the power within you with David Neagle. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, 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 journeyers. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast. Now, I know you're tired of hearing me say (laughs) that I'm excited for every episode. And like I say, I'm excited for every episode. But this one, this one, I think will be a game changer. And I know for a lot of you guys, that is a big promise because there have been a lot of game changing episodes that you've heard to date. I know because you tell me that these episodes have changed your life. But this one... This will probably be so far uh, out of all the ones I've recorded, one of the ones that will be on the top five of things that I will continually direct people to listen to when it comes to understanding how to reach their financial freedom and independent dreams and not just about money, but their life dreams. And I'm really excited about this. So I'm bringing you a conversation that I've had with David Neagle. David is the founder of a multi-million dollar global coaching company, and he's helping thousands of entrepreneurs and experts and self-employed professionals gain the confidence to find the right mindset to increase their revenue, their endeavors, and to just live their best life. So I started listening to David's podcast a little while ago, and it really, really stuck with me. I mean, all his episodes are really great. But when I heard him talking, when I heard his podcast, I was like, okay, I have to have him on my podcast to so my journeyers could could hear all this amazing, amazing information. His podcast is called The Successful Mind, and I will link it in the show notes. So if you go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 99, that's journeytolaunch.com slash episode 99, though you'll be able to find the links to the things that David and I talk about and to his, his podcast episode. And I'll try to link some of the ones that I particularly really, really love. But in general, I really think you're going to enjoy this episode. So I want to hear what you think. So as you're listening, take a screenshot, share it on social, tag me at Journey to Launch. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as Journey to Launch. So without further ado, let's hop in to this conversation with David. Hey, 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 journeyers. I'm really, really excited to bring you this interview because I've been binging on this man's podcast and content for the last couple months, ever since I found out about him. And you know how I am. Whenever I find something that I know is helpful to me and will be helpful to you, I just have to try to get them on the show. So welcome to the podcast, David Neagle. Thank you for having me, Jamila. It's uh, fantastic to be here. Your content speaks to me. It speaks to me because I love your your approach on taking control of your life and this this idea, this truth that wealth and money and success is inherent. It's like our divine right. And this is what I want my journeyers to understand also. So I know we're going to dive deep into all of that. But first, before we begin, I want uh, people to understand more about your backstory, how you became to be 
who you are today because you weren't always this aligned with your purpose and money, right? Yeah, no, I, I, I really was not. Um, I grew up in a uh, middle, lower middle class, working class family in Chicago. And uh, it was a, a family that ended up in a divorce. Um, my parents were, you know, they were present early in my life, but then around 13, they were, they were very much not present. So I was kind of on my own. I was a terrible student in school. I was extremely bored. What I didn't know how to do was work. When, I, think I, I think I got my work ethic from my father. He was, a, he was an incredible uh, hard worker. And so I got a, a really good work ethic. And in one way or another, what I realized at some point in my life was that I had always been doing something to earn money. Even when I was a little kid, had a you know lemonade stand and competing with other little kids' lemonade stands, you know, on, on the street in the in the summertime in Chicago. But I started working uh, around 13 years old, uh, and I've been working ever since. So so work was work was kind of like my platform. I knew how to do that. I just didn't know how to make a lot of money doing it. And I quit high school when I was 17. So. I just did not get along with school at all. It was just not a good fit for me. So I quit when I was 17 and I started going uh, my own way and I was making really poor decisions. I did not have a lot of guidance in my life at that time. And I did what I saw other people doing, which was, you know, getting married, having children. So I got married and I had two children by the time I was 22 and quickly found out that I did not have the ability to fulfill that responsibility. So I was, I was pretty devastated by coming into that realization because part of the realization was also, you know, this is pre-internet. I had, the only answer was to go back to school it was, and I needed time and money to do that. And I was working six and a half days a week, uh, basically two jobs, and I didn't have the time or the money to do that. And then I had two very significant events that really changed my thinking and began it was it was the crux of my life turning in a different direction. It was the fork in the road moment, so to speak. Uh, one was in 1989. In September of 1989, I had a water skiing accident on the Illinois River. And I got separated from the boat and I was sucked through a dam in Marseille, Illinois. Now at that time, I was only one of two people that ever survived going through it. This is a weird thing, but they told me that people get sucked through it every year and they die. And I was thinking to myself, you know, this is one of those things like, don't you think you should solve this problem? Like maybe put some, like a cable or something across the river that people can grab onto if they get too close. But anyway, uh, they didn't. And, and the other person that survived, he was uh, paraplegic or something from it. I got hurt pretty bad but nothing that wasn't repairable or just through healing. But that did something for me where at that age, most kids, teenagers, young adults are not thinking about the end of their life. And that got me thinking, you know, it's really bizarre. You could be really having a great time one moment and then your life literally be over the next moment. I mean, before I got sucked to that TAM, I, that damn, I was having a fantastic time that day. And in, uh, in a minute, I went from a great time to fighting for my life. So that 
really played on my consciousness in a very big way because I felt like there's a reason this happened. There's a reason that I survived it. Um, I didn't pretend to know what that reason was. I had a lot of immature uh, conclusions that were coming to my mind around it, but it really did cause me to wake up to the idea that I had not been doing anything serious with my life at that point. And if I died that day, that I would have left my wife and kids with nothing but a stack of problems. So now my mind is focused on, okay, I have to change my situation around. So I, I get healed. I go back to work. I'm back on a dock driving a forklift and nothing's changing. I, you know, I did not know at the time. I mean, this might seem so simple, but I, but it wasn't for me. It was not simple. And I, and with the people that I've worked with all over the world, it's amazing. We get in these mindsets where we just don't consider things that seem to be completely logical once we get on the other side of them. And I just did not consider that I had to really do something different in order to get a different result. This caused me to do that. And I, the only problem at this point was I didn't know what to do. So I was moving forward you know, kind of like with this attitude that something's going to happen, something's going to change. So, you know, it was magical thinking, right? And one night, um, it was it was very cold. It was February in Chicago. I was really tired. I had been disciplined multiple times that day for poor work. So I was in a really bad mood. And I just, I was in the back of a trailer loading potato chips on a pallet. And I just broke down crying. And I was so frustrated, so angry, so despondent, uh, desperate. I, I was like, God, show me something. Give me something, some direction to do something. And a little voice in my head in that moment said, David, change your attitude. And it was, it was audible. I mean, it was so distinct, so clear that it caused me to stop, literally pause and think, what did I just hear, and what does that mean? So I really thought about it. I found someone uh, that I could relate to that I thought had a much different attitude than I did, and they had a lot more success than I did. I asked myself, what are the differences between him and myself? And I broke it down to three basic things. He must love what he does. He must work really good at it, like do a really great job at it. And he treats people with total respect. Those were three things that I knew that I was not doing at that point in my life. So I decided that I was going to change it for a year. I said, this is I'm making this commitment. I'm going to change this for a year. There's a, another little voice in my head saying, this is the craziest thing you've ever come up with. And you've never stuck with anything in your life. What makes you think you're going to stick with this? I fought that voice and decided to just change it right then and there. And uh, in 30 days, to my amazement, my income went from 20000 a year to 62000 a year. And I was so shocked that I had this significant uh, change. I knew it wasn't luck, but I didn't know what I did to cause it. That it. What it did was it put me on a path of studying for about seven years because I really wanted to find out what I had done. I knew that I was here to do more, but I didn't know what that was, and I didn't know how to find it. And so I just started going to the library and reading, and then 
that led me to going to all different kinds of seminars and, you know, listening to books and stuff on cassette tape. I turned my car into a, an audio library uh, because I used to drive 100 miles to work one way. And, and that was the beginning. I mean, that really is what led me then seven years later to start doing what I'm doing now. And I've been doing that for a little over 20 years. Wow, what a story. I mean, I'm listening, but thinking how how so many people have moments and they might not have been as extreme as a near-death experience, but these moments, and I had a moment similar in, to, in which, not a near-death experience, but something where it jolted me and said, there must be something else. Like there is a reason why I'm having the feelings I'm having, but what's the next step? And it seems like it took you a little bit of time, even after the accident, to actually implement some of the things that you started doing to actually change your position. But what I love that you said was you had this internal voice and I don't know how you identify that. It really doesn't matter, but whether that is, you know, you think that's the universe or God or something telling you, or just your inner being telling you there's something else out there for you. You need to do something different. But then you also had this other voice, like what some people call maybe the imposter syndrome or that, that negative, if you have the like the angel and devil on your shoulder telling you, who are you to do this? And I find that so many people have both voices and sometimes they, you know, they listen to one and they listen to the other. And instead of doing anything, they just stay stuck. So that voice that told you or asked you, who are you to do this? What made you choose not to listen? Because so many people listen to that voice and don't do anything. Well, so that's a really great question. And the answer to it is, is twofold. One, uh, when I tell people this, they kind of look at me like, okay, this guy's gone off the edge here. That voice act that, that actually said to me, change your attitude, it sounded like it didn't come from inside my head. It sounded like somebody was in the trailer with me. It was like When I say it was audible, the way that I remember it was that I heard it like if you were standing next to me and said, David, change your attitude. And that's what caused me to pay so much attention to it. It, it didn't feel like it was my own thought. Now, of course, that may just be my perception. It may be because I was so emotional at the time, or maybe it was God's spirit or my higher self finding a way to get my attention. I believe in all those things. So I don't try to say it could be one or the other. I'm just trying to explain, here's what my experience was at that time. Now, to get to the second part of that, how come I didn't listen to the little devil voice or whatever that was saying, you're never going to do this, you never stuck to anything, was because in that moment, I realized that I had been listening to that voice for years. And that wasn't getting me anywhere. So this was like, an, you know, I hear, I, I've known people like um, drug addicts or alcoholics where they talk about having a moment of clarity. Now, I wasn't that, I wasn't an addict. But in a way, I guess I was because I was addicted to my own thinking. And it was a moment of clarity where all of a sudden, just for a brief moment, like the window opened and I could see something that I never saw before. It was like, this is the way to go. This is what you need to do. And of course, then my rational mind started going, well, that's stupid, right? I mean, how is changing your attitude, which is a, I didn't even know the term mindset at the time. But that like a thinking, uh, you know, thinking something different, how's that going to change your results and your reality? Well, I didn't realize that changing my mind was actually then being manifested in my behavior, right? So 
it wasn't just um, thinking about that I loved what I did. It showed up in my behavior. It showed up in my in my personality during the day. It showed up how the quality of the work that I was doing, how I was interacting with my coworkers and with my superiors. So it's yes, it started with my mind, but it showed up uh, behaviorally, and and that's what made all the difference. And then just to give some real like life examples, applying it to what happened with you, when you say you like tripled your income and it was really well, your mindset and then changing your behavior, was that because more opportunity, you noticed more opportunities? And then, so then you, you decided to raise your hand for more things. Did you get a bonus? Like what were the things that happened to allow you to triple your income? So this is the part where it actually, like when I think back on this, there were so many places for me to really step into my yes, because it was, it was a different opportunity. But here's the strange thing about this. This opportunity existed around me for two years. I just didn't see it as an opportunity because my attitude was so bad. And when, it, when my attitude began, began to change, the, the guy that I knew, they used to have this, I worked on a dock, so we had trucks. And there was a company called Osco uh, Petroleum that would come in twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays, and they would, they would, you know, in a big fuel truck, and they would fill the trucks and they would fill the trailers that had refrigerated uh, units on them because we carried food. So they, in the summertime, they had to be cooled. In the wintertime, they had to be warmed. Or if it, they were frozen food, it always had to be frozen. But those are run by diesel engines. So somebody has to come in and fill those things up. So there was this guy, his name is Drew Batty, and he lived in Whiting, Indiana. And he said to me, he's like, when are you going to get out of this place and do something else? It was really weird that he said this to me. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know, Gerardo, where, where am I going to go? You know, I, don't, I just have no idea. And he said, why don't you come work for us? We're hiring. And I came up with all these excuses why I couldn't do it. Um, you know, you smell like diesel fuel. I mean, you reek when you come in here. I was kind of, you know, joking around with him, but but partially serious. And um, I'm like, you're filthy. You're 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 out there working. At, I'm on a dock, but at least I have a roof over my head. You're out there in the rain, the snow, when it's 98 degrees at night and it's mosquitoes. You know, at least I'm underneath this this roof. And my last thought was, and you drive a bomb, Drew. You carry fuel like. What if that thing blows up? So it's like all ignorant thinking, all fear-based thinking. And I said, besides, how much could you possibly make doing that? And his response was, well, last year I made 50000 And that stopped me in my tracks. I didn't believe him. And I, I was like, BS, there's no way. He said, I'll be here Thursday. I will bring you a copy of my check. I said, okay, you do that. Because I really didn't believe him. Thursday came, he brought me a copy of his check. Sure enough, he made a little over 50000 And I said, where do I get an application? So the reason that I made more was because I was on the bottom of the seniority list. I had mandate, I took the route with the most mandatory overtime. And that year I made $62,000. So yes, it was an opportunity that had been around me that I didn't recognize in a, as an opportunity. And I remember when I started studying, I got a hold of, I don't remember how I got a hold of this, but it was Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. And in the introduction, there's something called the sly disguises of opportunity. Now I'm searching for answers at the time. 
And I read this little paragraph where he talks about how opportunity comes disguised as misfortune or temporary defeat or being unfortunate. And this is one of the reasons so many people don't recognize opportunity for what it is. And I thought, you know, that's exactly what my problem was. I saw it as being unfortunate or something I didn't want to do because my attitude was poor. But when my attitude changed, I now saw the benefits in actually taking this risk and leaving where I was working and going to work for this other company. Wow, that's so powerful because what I believe that thinking does, what I know that thinking does is that it you get the power back. So no matter what situation you're in, if you're listening to this, because there are some people listening who are totally unhappy with their jobs or their income and their situation. And, you know, there are some things that they they didn't have a choice in, right? Who they were who they were born to and their parents and maybe some things about their upbringing and whatever things outside of their control, but then taking that power back and being able to say, okay, but how can I view these then as opportunities? Um, I have a woman I interviewed, um, episode 86, actually, and she talked about she is a waitress and that she views that job as such a giving job and it has afforded her so many opportunities and she loves to serve. And she feels that income is limitless because her tips, like depending on who comes in, you just never know. And I thought about how some people who have a similar job as a waitress don't view it like that. And this woman, you know, she's only 27. She is well on her way to becoming wealthy. She's her net worth is $100,000. She's only 27. And, and I'm thinking just her attitude makes all the difference in her life. Um, so I'm really hoping that anyone listening here can think about uh, their situation and look at these misfortunes or things that they're not happy about and look at it as, okay, but how is this going to be a launching pad or how can I use this to propel me into and, and to see what is there for me to do and to be become better in and succeed? I mean, congratulations to her because that is the kind of thinking that allows a person to go to six figures or seven figures or eight figures in their lifetime. There's a Wherever she got the gratitude from, uh, I don't know where she got it from, but I think, like, congratulations, that's absolutely amazing. That When you're grateful in life, you see the blessing in everything that you have, even when you don't have much. And that really keeps you looking forward to different opportunities and, and growing and helping people. That's, that's a wonderful story. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So in terms of your ascension, because you didn't just stop there, like you not only tripled your income, you quadrupled, I don't know, at 10x, you've you've done a lot um, over time with your personal development and then what you put out into the world. And so I want to talk more about that and what your teachings are now. But one of the things you talk about in your content and in your podcast is just that, you know, a lot of us are raised with the safety perspective and uh, being loyal and it keeps us safe and it and but it keeps us also stuck and that how you know the school system and the corporate system is designed to kind of keep us in line and a lot of us have these dreams or visions of more but then we're afraid to go and pursue them or step out of that box because we're afraid of being of, of just being out there so can you talk a little bit about that yeah, absolutely. So the it, I, it is. I mean, everything that we learn from basically from the moment that we're born is about how to be safe and secure and certain in life. And it's interesting because we're very susceptible to that teaching 
given the fact that we that human beings need their parents for so long to, in order to stay alive. There's no other life form on the planet that needs uh, parents as long as we do. And the, the other thing about that is that we don't have the instinctual knowing, or at least we're not aware of the, I think we have more than most people realize, but based on the way that we're, we're currently raised, it's like we don't have the instinctual knowing of how to survive in our world. So when we're little kids, prior to the age of seven, we do not have a rational mind or a critical mind developed. And everything that's going on and around us is going into our subconscious mind. And our subconscious mind does not have the ability to reject. So we're, we're getting a, for seven years um, and the nine months that we're, you know, in um, uh, when mom is in pregnancy with us, we're all the information is going into our subconscious mind. It becomes a foundation of our belief system and how we think as our critical mind begins to develop around the age of seven. We're drawing from that information that we've been programmed with, and we use that in our evaluation of the experiences and the learning that we're then taking on at that point in our life moving forward. But we're put into systems that are basically preparing us to go to work for some someone else. They were all all those systems were created out of the basically the industrial revolution. And it's, you know, the 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 schools that we go to, the way that they're structured is very much like we're structured when we go to work for somebody else in a corporate job or, or basically any other job. And there's a lot of inherent suggestion, you know, a lot of it directly, that we, we need to be, do, and have certain things in life in order to be safe. So there's two basic lies that we're taught that a lot of people believe in. And, and I don't think that people teach us these lies because they're intentionally lying. I was asked this question um, in an interview the other day. Somebody was asking me, do you think that people are intentionally doing this? And I said, no, I just think that it's been believed for so long that it's just passed down from one generation to another as truth, but it's not actually truth. And that is that that we're here to be safe and certain and that we have to uh, be and act a certain way in order to interact with other people so that they'll like us and we're able to hold a job or, or keep a career or climb the ladder or get good grades in school or be part of, of the peer group. The, the underlying idea of separation is very scary to people because they were never raised in a way where the whole idea is that we start separating from our parents from the moment that we're born and we're supposed to learn the confidence and the skill sets and be taught how to think in a way where we become independent of that in our life. But when we don't get that, we rely on other people all of our life. So it becomes a very challenging thing for a person to break away from that and to go their own way. Because I think that, that every person is born to be a magnificent success, but they have to be able to tap into what that is and then start following some direction. So, yeah, we're, you know, we are in a, um, a, a very unique time uh, in, in history right now where uh, technology and information, because it's so at our fingertips, is allowing more and more people to actually do this. But the, the knowledge and the technology does not remove the fear. That's an inside job that has to be done 
uh, by every person in order to break free of the traditional way of living. Mm-hmm. And so what do you say to the people who know that? So they know that, okay, I, I do have this thing I want to do. I want to break free. And maybe not necessarily everyone needs to like not be an entrepreneur or not work in this setting. Maybe that works for them, but they want to do more with their lives. How do they move from knowing and feeling stuck to saying, okay, I'm going to now implement changes or mindset shifts in which I can now live a full life? Yeah. So I think that there's something that's very important that every person needs to do. A person needs to really sit down and ask themselves this serious question. What do I want my life to be about? A lot of people start looking at how how can I advance in my job? How can I get some kind of side hustle to make more money? How can I hack things to, to get there quicker? And all of that is fine and well. It all has its place. But it's kind of like more of the same. Like, why are they doing it? What are they really doing? Are they really are they doing it just to get another car or a house or maybe another vacation or a better vacation for their family? Or maybe even it's like they want to send their kids to a better school or something. All very noble, ethical things in life. That's totally fine. But are they actually stopping to say, what do I want my life to be about? You know, the average age is 78 years old. That is not a lot of time. And, you know, as people get older, you realize that time starts going by pretty quick. What do you want your life to be about when you think, I really have the ability to do anything? I have the power to choose. I have a gifted intellect. We're all intelligent people. If we were actually to use it in a productive way, if we were to focus that energy, what could we really do? And what would we want our life to be about? I think if they start there, what it does is it starts to build the desire and the reason for them to step out beyond the fear. If you don't have a reason that's bigger than your fear, then your fear is going to get you at some point. And and because the thing is, here's the thing about fear. Nobody fails. What they do is they agree with their fear to stop. So fear may make them paralyzed or it may start creating problems in relationships or it may put them in an unresourceful state because they're so afraid but they need a reason to go beyond that fear because the fear does not go away once it's programmed in a person's mind it doesn't go away until we actually start getting a different result that represents that the fear is false because we always have that little niggle in our mind that says Uh, yeah, but you don't have the money in your bank account yet. Yeah, but you don't have that better job yet. Yeah, but you didn't, you know, you didn't make any sales today. It's always trying to tell you what you don't have um, while you're trying to grow into what you want. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. And it reminds me of when, if you, like you said in the beginning of your story, how you tried things and maybe you didn't stick to it. And I find that's a problem for a lot of people is that what what makes this different? You tried before and you have not stuck with it or you failed. You know, like that repeating process keeps people stuck. Yeah, it absolutely does. And so when that that fear starts to come in, what it does is it gets you focused on something in your life that is real, like a problem or a fight with your spouse or – Uh, some kind of uh, tragedy or a major problem that is showing up in your life. And when we focus on it, 
what ends up happening is that that takes priority over what it is that we were going to do to achieve a higher goal or a dream. And we agree with that thing. So the moment that we agree with it, then that gives us the perfect reason to stop doing what it is that we were doing. And it's a very interesting phenomenon. But if you find, like I have interviewed so many successful people who have gone through uh, periods of failure in their life. And when they did that, it all came down to something happened in their life. They agreed with it, the problem, the situation, the circumstances around it. They became unresourceful, uh, which then built more fear. And they ended up saying, it's not worth it, or I can't do this, or I'm going to lose my marriage, or there was always some kind of a an effect, a consequence that seemed bigger than the win that they were actually going for. So they ended up stopping. And you hear that often, right? The people that are successful, the major difference is that they just keep going while the people stop. Correct. Absolutely. And I don't, I'm not trying to tell people you have to ignore the things that come up. You just have to handle them uh, with emotional intelligence, right? You know, it's like the saying, EQ is better than IQ when you're when you're building a business or, or moving forward, because if you can control your emotional state when you're when it's hard, you know, frankly, it, it is hard. There's no question about it. it. It really takes work and practice to get control over the way that we react in the world. But if we can actually do that, then the problems that we that show up in our life, we can say, OK, here's the problem. This problem was created by the law of cause and effect, meaning that something caused this. I'm experiencing the effect. There has to be a solution because that's also part of the universal laws. Being that there's a solution, all I need to do is to find out what is the cause of that solution. And I need to be, do, or have that cause and I will fix the problem. And I will do it every single time. What I don't want to do is to get stuck in the emotional drama around the problem. I want to see it matter of fact, just for what it is, not make it better, not make it worse, but see it as accurately as I can and then begin to, to begin to fix it or change it. Mm, right. Great. Just great uh, perspective on that. And then the other thing that you talk about a lot, and I believe most people don't know this or don't recognize what it is, is this universal law, which you just mentioned, but the law of polarity. So that fact that we have things in our life that we don't want or the negatives that we don't want, but on the opposite end of that, are it causes us to realize the things we do want. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Though I, the law of polarity is my favorite universal law. And the reason that it's my favorite is because I realized I was using it when I didn't realize I was using it. I was what you would call an unconscious competent. I started doing things based on those laws, but I didn't know I was doing it. So when I started to understand the law of polarity, I real I the way that I explain it is this: everything in the universe is created in a whole or com- or complete. So all the knowledge that ever was or ever ever will be is a hundred percent equally present in all places at the same time. We don't see anything uh, in 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 life that was created in fractions or in halves. It's all created as a whole. So the law, law of polarity states that everything in the universe has an opposite, an opposite side, and it's equal and opposite. So if you have an up, you have a down. If you have an in, you have an out. If you have a left, you 
you have a right. If you have a problem, you have a solution. Now, those things seem to be uh, relatively obvious to, to most people when they think about it. But here's where they don't what they don't consider. The desire that we feel inside of ourselves, which comes from the Latin root desire, which means of the Father, is spirit communicating with and through us to be, do, or have more in our life. It is actually our spiritual DNA pointing us in the direction for us to fulfill our purpose. So when we have that desire, and it is um, it is saying that you know go make more money, or uh, you you want you want to you want to have more in your life. There's that, and then if we have a need for something, like let's say we don't have the money to pay the bills this month, so that's a need. We have the bills. We have a desire to pay the bills, but we don't actually have the money. The opposite side of that is the fact that the money is actually there, that the pro- the solution is there. The opportunity that you don't have but you have a desire for is there. The people that you need to meet that you don't know and you have desire to meet them, they're there. So that means that it's connected. The desire is connected to that solution. The need is connected to that money or whatever, whatever it is that you, that you need for your life. And it's already in your life, but you can't see it because your mind is not programmed to see it. So it doesn't recognize it. And that, you know, a person needs to really think about this because it can be a little heady when you first hear it. But that's exactly what happened to me. I did not see my friend drew as an opportunity. I just didn't for two years. And then I, I kicked myself when I, when I realized that I had been suffering for two years needlessly, but based out of my own ignorance. So with the law of polarity, anything that you need in your life that you don't have has to be in your life already. And it's very close, but you have to train yourself to be able to see it. And that's one of the things that I do with people. <clears throat> I have an extraordinary track record of taking people from relatively low incomes over seven figures in 12 months. I've been doing it on a regular basis for 20 years. And it started with me. I did it with me first. When I realized how easy it was once you start to understand this law, it it totally blew my mind. But the the law is applied to everything, not just money. It could be people. It could be any resource that you need in your life. It could be any solution to any problem that you need. But you have to understand that that law says that whatever you have on one side, you must have on another, even if you can't see it. Price Pritchett, who wrote the book U Squared on Quantum Leaps, if you've never read it, you should get the book. It's fantastic. In that book, he said, absence of evidence is not evidence of its absence. So these laws are based in physics, right? So we know in quantum physics that there are particles that exist by the trails that they leave behind, but they move so fast we haven't actually been able to see the particle. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. And, you know, for some people, if they were just like, listen to this snippet, just this little snippet of this conversation and... It, it, it could enrage, if, for lack of a better word, some people, right? Because there's this talk about, oh, yeah, you know, you're, you're saying that the money is there, but I can't pay my rent. Or you're saying that the money is there, but I want to quit my job, but I don't have enough money to be able to sustain myself and to do the things I want in the world. And so this 
this idea that it's already there for some people is so hard to grasp because like you said, they don't physically, they can't, they, they don't have the money and they can't see the opportunity. Right. Um, what do you say to those people who are listening and are just like, yeah, David, you have the money now. So you say that. And sure, you went through this and you, 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 I'm sure you helped some people go through this, but my life does not look like that. Yeah. I, and you know what? I completely respect and understand what they're saying. When I was on that side of it myself, if somebody had told me this, I would have thought it was the craziest thing that I ever heard. And it would have been very difficult to believe because we have no correlation of cause and effect of how that actually works in our life. And that's really what the problem is. So we understand uh, a lot of things. Like if we, if we want a glass of water, we, we don't even need to think about it. We can get up, get a glass, go to the fountain, get a glass of water. If we get in our car and drive someplace that we've been before, we know how to do all of those things. It's literally hundreds of, of motions that have to be made in order to do that. And we really don't even need to pay attention to the drive. Like how many times has a person driven somewhere? They don't really remember the drive. It's like all subconscious, right? So it's, it's programmed. But when it comes to money, when it comes to this one topic of money, the relation of cause and effect that we have in our mind, or most people are raised with, is that I go to a job and that job pays me a certain amount of money. Now, here's the, here's the thing about this. Though when, you're, when you've had that experience, that's the only experience you really have around making money in your life, you develop the belief that money comes from other people. And that's a false belief. Money does not come from people. It comes through them. So when I believe money comes from people, then I have to be a certain way in order to get that money from them. So what I teach people is this. One of the things that we need to do is we need to break that cause and effect and understand, begin to practice the skill sets that allow you to create money whatever amount you want, whenever you want it, but you're actually creating it. You're not trading time for it, which is what you do when you work. Now, I'm not saying that a person shouldn't work a job or have a job or have a career. If that's what you want to do, I think that that's fantastic. But I do think that everybody should learn how to create money in their life if they so choose to do that, because it sets them into a totally different a way of living that's free. You're no, you're not reliant on other people anymore once you once you do this. And plus, there's no limit to the amount of money that you can make either. So, I number one, I completely respect where they are. I totally realize how ridiculous that actually sounds. And the truth of the matter is that it's only ridiculous because you haven't had the experience of it yet. If you were to allow yourself to have the experience, even if you started off very small, you would build on that actually very rapidly in your life. So the first thing is, is to understand the desire. And there's some very important key components to this. And one of them is that you can't come from a place like if I said, how much money do you want to make in your life? A lot of people will go, I want to make a million or 10 million or 100 million. That response is actually coming from fear. You need to look at your life and say, how do I want to live? That then dictates the amount of money that I want to earn. 
So now that number becomes very real because we can associate that number to a car, a house, an education, clothes, where we're sending our kids to school, the vacations that we're going to take. The money is real, it's practical, it becomes very tangible. So then we look at what that number is and we ask ourselves the next important question, which is, can I see myself earning that amount of money? If the answer is yes, great, we start there. If the answer is no, then we back it down to what the person can see themselves earning in their life. Where Whatever that number is, then there's an exercise that I have them do. And the exercise is basically this. They make a list. All they have to do is think about where are all the places that this money could possibly come from. Now, when you do this exercise, your mind immediately wants to start kicking out the answers that it comes up with. Like you might say, well, I want to start a business and I need $50,000 to do that. I could go to a bank and get a loan. But immediately you think, well, my credit's terrible. Um, I don't have any collateral. Nobody's going to give me a loan. So for most individuals, what they do is they stop themselves before they even get started. Every time your mind gives you a reason why not to do it, you have to ignore that and just write down all the reasons that your mind comes up with how to do that. Then if the person would take action on each one of those things until it's completely dead, it either it either gives you the money or, or part of the money or it, it completely runs out of resource, in that list somewhere you're going to find the solution. It has to be there. In 20 years, I've never had a person do this all the way through it and not actually get the amount of money or the resource that they were looking for. Mm -hmm. I I love that exercise. And I love that it's so tangible for anyone to just like start to start doing. And it's interesting because this phrase, when you say, when you ask someone, okay, how much do you want to earn to support the kind of life you want to live? A lot of people, actually, if you ask them, don't believe they can earn it. Even if they say a million dollars, like they say, they're saying it out of fear, knowing that they don't think they can really earn a million dollars. And then that guides their inaction or their sabotaging uh, actions to not reaching their goals because they really don't believe they can actually do it. Um, and so one of your books that you say is your favorite book and has helped you uh, guide you through this process and about just the divine right for people to be rich is The Science of Getting Rich by Wallace Waddles. Can you talk a little about this book and why you love it so much? Yeah, so... All of my life, I was walking around with a question. The question started when I was four years old, and it came out of a tragedy that happened in my family that caused a lot of suffering. And at the same time, I was also being raised Catholic. So I was going to church. I was was doing catechism classes, that type of thing. And we were learning that we come from a loving God and that God loves all of his children. Well, this caused this question of if that's true, then how come my family is suffering so bad? And why do I see other people in the world suffering so much? And I would go back and I would ask the question to the people that were in authority in my life, the priests, the nuns, the deacons, you know, um, regular school teachers, nobody could answer the question. And they would get, sometimes they would, I would actually get disciplined for asking that question because they thought that I was trying to cause trouble or something. Like, you shouldn't even be thinking this. And then they'd whack me with a ruler or something like that. And the question then became, either we don't come from a loving God, or there's something that human beings don't understand. There's something that we're missing. 
I didn't believe that we didn't come from a loving God. I totally believe that he's even as a child, but I did believe that there was something that we didn't understand. So then that became my pursuit since I was four years old was to answer that question. Now I had gotten a lot of answers. I had a lot of experiences, but nothing was putting it in any logical order in my mind until around 1996 or 98, I forget which year it was, uh, I came across the book, The Science of Getting Rich. And I sat down on a Saturday afternoon and I literally broke into tears because everything that I believed inside that had fe- I had feeling around, but I couldn't make sense, it was, it was laid out logically in that book. And I understood money, its place, resources, the whole idea that we're raised with lack is a belief system is completely false. It's 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 one of the most powerful books that's ever been written about money and our relationship to money and how we actually bring money in our life. That I I tell people all the time that that book alone is I can directly relate that book to twenty million in income in my career and indirectly relate it to all the rest of the income that I've made over twenty years. So it is extremely powerful. It's a book that I have all of my students read. I don't have one person that I've helped become a millionaire or, or higher that has not read and studied that book. It is, it's just absolutely a phenomenal book. I just recommend that everybody read it and actually study it. You got to make a study out of it. Yeah. And it's one of these things where you talk about it in one of your episodes that you had seen the book around, you weren't that impressed or didn't really care to pick it up and just one day you did and again it's that it's the idea that the answers are around you and the resources are there it's more about you recognizing them and i love this quote when the student is ready the teacher will appear uh, but like the teacher is always there like it's just waiting for you to recognize it and to ask the question yeah absolutely you know when I, yeah when i first saw the book i thought it was a book on economics or investing or something like what do you do after you have money <laughs> And that uh, that's not the answer that I was looking for, but the book kept showing up over and over again, and I finally I finally picked it up. I think that the other main thing that it does is it really helps challenge a person's belief around money. We have such erroneous beliefs around money that it it does keep us paralyzed to to some degree as far as the amount of money that we earn and the amount of risk that we take. You know, th- I mean, if you think about this. Money is the resource. Like we we're always talking about how money is, is not the most important thing in the world, and, and I totally agree with those statements. But the other truth is that money touches every decision that we make. There's a financial component to every decision that we make, and it's the one thing that we have the least amount of mastery over, at least the masses around the world have the, the least amount of mastery over. And it's not about being smarter or luckier or educated in the stock market or real estate or whatever, all of those things are fine and well, but how do I bring the money into my life to begin with? How do I master that? Because if I can master that, that's real wealth. See, nobody can take that away from you. You can make a lot of money and somebody could take it away from you. You can make a lot of money and make a mistake and lose it, but can you make it back whenever you want? And that's what that book is about. Mm, love that. Love that. So we'll definitely link where people can pick that book up and encourage people to get that. And so before we wrap up and we let people know where to find you, 
what is one thing? I mean, you gave a lot of already actionable <laughs> tips like getting this book and, you know, some exercises. But if you can tell somebody, a journeyer, one thing to do as soon as this stops playing uh, to really change their life or to at least get started on the path that they want to or continue on their journey, what is that one thing they should do? The, the biggest thing that I believe helps individuals is to determine where they have the biggest weakness, that if they strengthen that, it would help take care of everything else. Now, for most people, they don't ever really think about it, but it's trusting themselves. So what I have people do is make a decision to accomplish something that you that you know you're going to stick to so that you're really coming at it from a different level of commitment and then make that a permanent change in your life that whatever you say you're going to do you're going to do you're going to follow through with it when you do that you build trust with yourself and when you can trust yourself you will be amazed at how easy or much more easy everything else is it's that we that we literally most people just don't trust themselves. Uh, they've broken their word with themselves so many times that they've become untrustworthy to themselves. If you change that, it it lays a completely new foundation for you to then build anything from. Mm, I love that. Have integrity with yourself. Love it. Okay, David, this has been amazing. Um, thank you so much. And let everyone know where they can listen to your podcast, where they can find out more about your amazing work. If they go to davidnagel.com, last name is N as in Nancy, E-A-G-L-E, they can find all the information there. And there's a free download card called You Were Born to Be a Success. Get it and read it. It'll change your life. Right. And you also have a podcast that I love, right? I do. The Successful Mind Podcast. And there's a link right on the website to the podcast. Or go to uh, iTunes. You can get it on iTunes. Right. I will link all of where you can find David's stuff and what he mentioned in the episode show notes. But wanted to thank you so much again, David, for coming on and sharing your journey and all these wonderful, actionable items that we can implement in our lives. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. What did I tell you? I really hope you were inspired by this episode and inspired to action because I wholeheartedly believe that the things we want in this world are already here, meaning we don't need to wait to have those things to enjoy life. That's the whole purpose of the journey. The journey is long. It's a marathon, but you're not supposed to wait to the end of it to enjoy and to reap the benefits, especially when you can unlock the power within yourself by changing your mindset. And that's why I was so excited about this episode, because Mindset is what it's all about. And so many of us like hop into the actual action, right? So the budgeting or the investing part of things, not understanding that if we have a mindset that we're not working on improving, if we are not really feeling like we deserve to be successful and we are working on the habits and the behaviors and the internal work that it takes to even like execute, then we're going to keep on trying all these things and it's not going to work and we're not going to know why. So that's why I was super excited to have you listen to this conversation with David and I really hope you enjoyed it. So let me know what you thought. Go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 99 to get the episode show notes. And then of course, at me at journey to launch on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Share this with someone. So if you know there's someone in your life that needs to hear this, share it with them. Send them to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 99. 
As a reminder, the doors to the Launch Club, the membership community for journeyers looking to take their finances to the next level, they're currently closed, but they will be reopening. And I want you to know about it. If you really are interested in taking what you're learning here to the next level, applying it to your life, but getting the resources, the classes, and most importantly, that community support to help you reach your goals, then you're going to want to know about the Launch Club. You're going to want to join. So to be on the list, to be the first to know when doors reopen, and hey, let's keep this between me and you, but I think I'm going to let people who are on this list get early access. So you don't want to miss out. Go to journeytolaunch.com slash launch club to get on the list. As always, journeyers, I'm always excited to bring you this content, always excited to welcome you with open arms on this journey. And I'm really happy that you're here with me. So until next week, keep on journeying, journeyers. Journeyers.